it's Saturday the 12th of June 2021 at Brighton Fringe and you can probably hear some noises in the background we've got joggers running by we've got seagulls and all kinds of other birds um, in the background and we've got the chat of the cafe the cafe pavilion gardens cafe and this is fringe reviews headquarters in the city of brighton and hove in june as the world emerges from covid though things are very uncertain brighton fringe is happening we've got a packed podcast today we're going to be chatting to fringe review outstanding theater award winner and that was a, an award at edinburgh fringe seems like a long time ago 2019 and that's elsa couvreur and the sense maker and that's at rialto and we're also going to catch up with roger kay and he's talking about how he kept things going, uh, stopped the ship sinking during COVID and Rialto Theatre is back with a fairly packed programme. We're heading over to New Mexico. We talked to Penny Cole from Flying Solo and she's talking about some wonderful folk music which you'll be able to catch throughout the month called The Road Ahead. And then venue time again as we talk to JD Henshaw from Sweet Venues. And uh, you might not know that Sweet Venues is also a production company and Heather Rose Andrews is playing uh, in... Well, she's playing both Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in a solo show there. Uh, just to mention, Sensemaker's actually happening right now, so catch it before there's, uh, they're gone, back on tour again. And also we're going to catch up on a very unique piece of theatre, and I'm actually going to a watch party for this, because you can watch it online, but you can also see it live. It's also at uh, Rialto, called I Am Echo Borg, which is not a new production, but um, it's gone before you know it, so make sure you catch it, this fringe as well. And Mary Helen Boyd... Um, plays a performer who speaks the word in real time of uh, an AI robot in live conversation with the audience. It doesn't come stranger and more uh, eclectic than that. So it's always wonderful to talk to theatre arts makers at Brighton Fringe. As I sit here and um, we're waiting for Boris and Boris is the blackbird that um, de- delivers um, a hello every morning and he's nothing like Boris Johnson I have to say with great relief. Um, so enjoy this podcast and if you're in Brighton or nearby there's indoor there's outdoor there's online theatre all kinds of performance comedy cabaret Um, and I'm glad it's back but I'm also still worried and worried is uncool at the moment because we've worried ourselves to death but um, we've worried ourselves to life too here I am alive and maybe that's because I worry have a great fringe Fringe Reviews headquarters, known as my garden shed, and I'm actually sitting outside and my seagull arts interns have just come back from dive bombing the Spiegel tent. And uh, we're actually here with JD Henshaw and Heather Rose Andrews. Now, JD, tell us about uh, Sweet Venues, because people don't really know uh, what Sweet Venues is unless you're really into the fringe world. So we've certainly got some new people emerging out of lockdown looking for something to do. So tell us about Sweet Venues. And also, even people that know Sweet Venues may not know there's something called Sweet Productions. Uh, yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, Sweet Venues is the set of venues that I'm very gloriously happy to be artistic director of um we produce work um in edinburgh brighton and dundee um as our mainstays um and we have year-round base in brighton and dundee which is really exciting uh, as well as doing pop-up theatres uh, across edinburgh for its fringe and that that pop-up stuff that you're doing at brighton is you literally can take conference rooms offices spaces that year-round would not be fringe spaces and you turn turn them into fringe spaces you literally artistically bring them to life how do you do that <laughs> um with uh, an awful lot of sweat 
and largely stupidity, I think. That's um, the political answer. Give me your secrets, JD. My secrets. That <laughs> um, when I got into theatre, I never knew it was so much about um, load bear of scaffold and <laughs> electrical PowerPoints. I think that's the secrets. Um, no, you know what? You go into a space and I guess I've now just got a bit of an odd way of looking at them. I walk into office spaces and hotel spaces and my brain just starts going, oh, do you know what? You could get about three and a half metre stage in that with some nice wings and a crossover. And we could get 60 people in here really comfortably. We should turn this into a theatre. What a good idea that is. I mean, I've, I've turned car parks into theatres. I am that much of a goon for this, I tell you. <laughs> well, well, hopefully if we don't get more COVID, you won't be turning theatres into car parks. Um, but oh, in terms, yeah. In in terms of then in Brighton, you're at a place called Sweetworks. Now, I, I guess you know office spaces are very good for Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde for various reasons. But so just give us a little bit more detail about how a Sweet Productions, which you'll tell us about, is bringing a piece about Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde into a found space like that. Well, gosh, that's a really interesting one, isn't it? Um, so. From the Sweet Productions end, we we help make work actually internationally. Um, we've been taking work from abroad and sending it abroad. We, we currently, weirdly enough, have shows still running in New Zealand, which is very surprising, but thankful to their government for it. Um, and as we move forward and come back to bringing new work here, we've been supporting a lot of artists, but obviously we also make work. And... One of the things that we've been looking to bring to stage has been Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and for us, it's it's an obvious thing to put it on in spaces that we love to work in. So it's, it's as much about a found space as much as it is also about a space that we love to be in and want to, want to bring that work to life in. Now, in terms of a solo piece of theatre that clearly has at least two characters, Heather Rose Andrews, is JD paying you twice or just once? <laughs> Just once. <laughs> how 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 clever! I know. <laughs> that's the that's the Mister Hyde. How how do you um how do you step into the skin of what is so loaded with film images and the way pe people pictured the book? And there's been so many different versions in theatre. How do you bring your uniqueness to it? Um, I think the main difference is that it's I'm well. It's going to be played by a woman. Um, so there's the gender flip element, um, which immediately changes the approach. Um, and it changed for us, it changes how Jekyll is perceived and how Hyde is perceived versus the classic, because our Hyde becomes a lot more sensual um, and not necessarily physically monstrous. Um, so it's kind of changed how we view Hyde and how we view Jekyll. Um, yeah, it's... I don't know it's been quite an interesting experience have uh, you gone back to the source material um in conceiving it well back to the original source material yeah yeah because i i guess also that was written for a man in, uh, also at a particular time so i guess you've had to move through what that source material is yeah and we so we, tr we sort of stuck with the element of it sort of it's a victorian the play is sort of set in sort of victorian era but we also recognize that a woman back then wouldn't necessarily have the same rights as they do now so that does change it and especially the same rights as men but we try not to focus on that too much I think the main thing that's coming out of this is class we've noticed the difference in class um yeah it's been 
yeah i'm trying to think what <laughs> it's yeah the speechless actor um in terms of the rehearsal room what does that look and sound like And I love that. I love it when artists storm out of an interview because you've asked them something and you don't know it's controversial, but clearly he stormed off at me saying he brought venues to life. But of course he didn't. We had the internet going down as it actually did yesterday, where around the world, the BBC and everybody went down and it was to do with a glitch. And of course that could happen any time. The whole world could go down because somebody pressed the wrong button. So we got straight back to JD and um, to Heather Rose and we carried on the interview. But some part of me, I've realized the nice part of me uh, wants everything to be okay. But then I take a sip of tea and who knows what's in it. And I want everything to go wrong and to be cut off. I guess I'm a sort of Jekyll and Hyde. To me earlier on, when we were setting up the interview, you, you were in rehearsal. Are you directing this? I am directing this and I have written it. <laughs> yes. So you've or... written it. So first, first of all, the rehearsal room I'm always interested in. We're a fly on the wall. What does a sweet productions JD Henshaw directed rehearsal room look like? I... I imagine like most rehearsal rooms, I think. I'm well, you're, you're stomping around angrily and it all being about you. Is that what you're saying? Um, oh, God, then no, it doesn't look like those. That uh -huh. um, no, I think it's a really collaborative process, I think. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the idea that there's a whole bunch of brains in a room and my ideas obviously matter because you're directing, but your actor's there and they've got their thoughts and it's very much about bringing those two things together, isn't it? So in something that's exploring the kind of gender aspects, I guess that becomes even more vital with this because you're a man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why it was very important that me and Heather built the show together. Yeah. And in terms of it now here in Brighton Fringe, I mean, the rehearsal room today, was that just bedding in or were you still inventing right up to the last minute? Well, we have had the opportunity to stage the show in the October version of Brighton Fringe. Yeah. So we have had a run at this. So now actually what we're getting to do is deepen the performance, which is amazing. Yeah. It's a really big opportunity for us to, to polish it and find more from it. I think certainly don't want to speak for Heather on that, but I feel that's very much what I'm seeing from well, her. I think back in October, it was really, it was a, obviously it was a very difficult time because we chose to put on Jekyll and Hyde in the last week of Fringe. And I think it was right when um, we were about to go into another lockdown. So we didn't know if the show was actually going to go up. So it was a really difficult and nervy time for a new show, um, especially a really sort of line heavy show and very physical because this is sort of borderline physical theatre. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what's lovely now is I can really focus on what I'm saying and find those moments and play with it. So that's been really fun. And I think we've got another week to kind of explore that as well. And tell me a bit about, without spoilers, but so how have you managed the the very physical thing that's been shown in so many films and versions of this, which is the transformation of Jekyll to Hyde and back? Oh, um, yeah, how I've managed it. Well, um, that's when we, when we did that back in sort of August last year was the first time we were doing it. Um, a lot, we watched a lot of old clips of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, some of the original ones that are on, you can catch them, the classic Jekyll and Hyde's on um, YouTube. Um, and some of them are really quite over the top. It's, it's quite funny. But um, we have actually decided to go fully with the transformation scene. It's very, very physical. 
Um, so that's been interesting to know how far I can physically move my body and how far mm. we can go with that. Um, so, yeah, my fitness has had to be, yeah, I've had to really work on my fitness for that scene. Um, and also it's a little bit just switching in and out of the characters. How do you show that difference? Um, if the voice isn't necessarily different, how can you show that physically? So the way I stand as Jekyll is very different to how I stand as, as Hyde. Um, yeah. And over all the years, versions of this have been done. Some actors have absolutely said, you know, it's a challenging part that, you know, when it's over, I, I'm an actor, you know, head, head to the pub or head home. But other actors have said, and it's to do with the original writing as well, yeah. uh, you know, where, how archetypal this is, is they find this really challenging to play and, yeah. and, and it affects them playing it. Um, so I absolutely agree with that. I think for me, Jekyll and Hyde is probably one of the most challenging things I've so far I've done. Um, I think, and I realised that in October because I actually, from the performing it, got quite unwell towards the end because of just the physical nature of the piece. And also, it's quite emotional. I mean, our hide is, is, goes through being quite childlike to exploring, um, you know, eating a strawberry for the first time to crushing someone's jaw because they realise they're really strong. So it's quite emotional. So I think it's both got the physical and the emotional element, which can be quite draining. So I think Jekyll and Hyde for me is going to be something that's quite difficult to just go to the pub afterwards. It sort of sticks with me. Um, yeah, so it'd be interesting if we ever took it to Edinburgh and I had to do it every day for 40 days or something. <laughs> Everyone's saying now, if ever I took it to Edinburgh with all sorts of uncertainty of our times. Yeah. And, and JD, in terms of the fact that this is in a unique year, Something I've noticed is friends of mine who are very, very cautious and careful and responsible with COVID, you know, before the first dose and all of that first vaccine. Mm. Once they've been twice vaccinated, they're becoming quite horrific, you know, and they are the ones with the vaccine passport. And, and you know, suddenly they've changed their entire view. It, putting it on now is what Dr. Jekyll takes the AstraZeneca virus uh, vaccine. <laughs> um, I think... <laughs> As we develop, I mean, you know, and I guess what I'm really asking is, this is a unique, unique time. So, how much is what's going on in the world influencing how you guys are directing it? Are you setting this in a world that is absolutely separate from this, or are you noticing it influencing you? Yeah, I think it's very safe to say that whilst this is a sort of Victoriana science horror world that we're in, it is period. Um, there's a great deal in there about just how far your authority and class can yeah. just allow you to say whatever you like and get away with it. Mm. There is definite politics sitting in the heart of this. And I think the longer that we went at creating the show, the more we realised it was going to reflect very much uh, a world where just keep telling bigger lies. Um, mm. and Just make sure that everybody believes that you tell the truth even if they don't. I also think it's quite relevant to now because the whole piece is about change and not just change physically between the characters, but change in society. Um, so actually, I think with the pandemic, that's, yeah. I think it's going to have a slightly different, yeah, I think it will look, yeah, I'll be intrigued what people think about it. Hmm. Finally, JD, the wider thing coming back to sweet venues again, just a few highlights of what people can see at Brighton Fringe at your wonderful spaces. Oh, gosh, that's the Sophie's Choice bit, isn't it? Where you have to start picking your darlings. Um, yeah. Without any 
meaningful listing in the sense of I love all of them. Um, what have we got? We've got, well, this week we've got the absolutely fantastic fiction romance and we've got Quintessence, um, which apparently Fringe of you rather liked back in 2019. Um, and that's Emily Carding and she's unique. You know, I can happily say whatever she's doing, you need to go and check her out. Yeah, absolutely. Phenomenal stuff. Um, we've got absolute fun and games joy of The Geek Shall Inherit this week, which is musical comedy about geekdom um, in all of its shapes, forms and glories. And coming up, gosh, we've got loads still to go. It feels like we've done loads and now we've still got it all to go again, which is really exciting. Um, we've got a wonderful piece of Words Without Consent that comes on this weekend, which is fantastic piece of feminist verbatim theatre. Um, we've got um, La Wine Club, which is a part wine tasting, part cabaret comedy. Um, we've got Yuriko Katani for, with their new work in progress. And she's put on a bunch of shows with us in the past in Brighton. So we've got comedy, theatre, cabaret, just little bits of everything. It's it's proper fringe programme. I think that's really yeah. wonderful about it. Everyone's glad that Proper Fringe is on its way back. And in terms of uh, people can find out about the shows on the Sweet Venues website, as well as booking and, and the Brighton Fringe website. Last question. I've asked you this before, but it feels like this is a new Fringe again. Take, just take me safely through your venue. As an, as an audience member arriving? Yeah, people worrying, going, well, can you go indoors? And there are, there's a lot of indoor theatre. So just kind of, probably the right word, reassure us. No, absolutely. Um, I completely understand the question basically we ask that people arrive in good time um to allow us to get you through normally because it's not just as quick as here's your ticket on you go as it used to be um we've got areas to sit in in our bar cafe so when you arrive please arrive masked our staff will be masked don't worry if someone asks you about your mask um it's what we're all doing these days you know it's not a big deal is it not anymore um, they will check you in. You get to sit. If you want a coffee or something a little harder, we've got the bar open. You can take, drink and eat, obviously, at the tables, just as you would in any cafe. Um, when you're called for your show, we will lead you to your assigned seats. We redo all of our seats between shows for each production. So we've got our ticket list. We do the bubbles according to the way that you've booked. So you will be sitting just with the people that you've booked in with and we rebuild the room around you which i know sounds like a massive undertaking but we've now been doing it for a while and we really we've got it down so everything's been cleaned set up and it's fresh and new for you coming into the space um, and listen and listen everyone li listening here no it is not true that you have to isolate for 10 days in the travel lodge crawley no I, we would never put you through that we just no. wouldn't it's the Grand Hotel, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, every time. <laughs> JD and uh, Heather Rose, thanks so much for talking to Fringe Review. Brilliant. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you for you the so time. Much. Speak soon, Paul. Thank you. And from the surprise that a solo show playing the classic characters of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is part of Sweet Productions. And if you had only thought that sweet venues was venues that you would find in other parts of the country well it was here in Brighton it is here in Brighton and it's here making theatre too 
Now, our next interview was a show that we found at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2019. Seems such a long time ago, um, as I think I've said before. Edinburgh Fringe 2019, will it be back this year? Uh, apparently, announcements are going to be made. But we found this show, uh, The Sense Maker, very unique. And you can read Nick Collette's review on the Fringe Review of it. And I will say no more about it. But you can hear about it from the performer. And then you can hear um, also probably in that about how work gets made that is not the usual kind of work uh, and that's what we look for with Fringe Review. We don't want work to be unique just for the sake of it but we stumbled upon this and actually I saw this, I was invited to see it from somebody who we're going to talk to uh, in the interview straight after this. The sense maker is playing at Rialto Theatre um, and that was uh, Roger Kay who uh, is from Rialto Theatre and was up there looking for work, work to bring down and said uh, that we had to go and see it. So um, I went, our reviewer went, and uh, to cut a long story short, lots of touring later, it's now here at Brighton Fringe at the Rialto Theatre. We are here at Pavilion Gardens Cafe, which is, I don't know what, what the main uh, headquarters of Fringe Review. It is probably my garden shed during lockdown, but we're allowed to be here now. And I'm joined by Elsa Couvre. Now Elsa, what would you like to ask me? <coughs> <laughs> How has it been so far uh, at the Brighton Fringe outside? <laughs> it's felt it's felt quite a relief and as you can hear with the seagulls we're all out and about now but it doesn't feel like uh, a repetition of the last fringe mm -hmm. because the world has changed but I've been concerned it is too much still like the last fringe and I want fringe to change now and I'm kind of hoping that it might uh, invent itself uh, mm -hmm. as something new. Um, arriving in the UK then you know um, you've had to self-isolate yes. as a Fringe Review award winner. What have been your impressions uh, literally of just having to come out and perform again? Uh, well actually the last time I performed in the UK was in March 2020 uh, which is uh, that does ring a bell because yeah. it was right before the time stopped and um, like to be back now and to perform the exact, exact same show um, after everything that happened like, I'm really excited about it because I didn't change anything about the show, but the world changed and gave, I think, this show a slightly different meaning. So I'm like, excited to see what people will take from it. Mm. Is there ever a moment in the show when either you as a performer or you as the person behind the performer wants to refuse? Um, well, I think my character wants to refuse, but me as a person, um, I'm actually really enjoying it because I enjoy making people uncomfortable. Um, so actually the moments, there are some moments in the show which are like quite uncomfortable, I think. And those are moments that I person personally enjoy as a performer because to me, these are the moments where like the magic happens because uh, people will have very uh, strong feelings and will um, react in different ways. So I'm lo always looking forward to that. And, and again, this might be Muse audience members, but hopefully because they'll go along and see the show. Um, so, have you ever in the rehearsal room, you know, just improvised it where you don't answer the phone? <laughs> uh, no, I've never done that, like in the rehearsal room, but I've tried a lot of things with the soundtrack, uh, because I, I did the soundtrack myself as well and the text, and um, so I, I've tried like many different things with that um, automatic voice, and uh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> and I guess one of the insights some people have had from COVID that we're already beginning, beginning to have in the world of social media and complete lack of privacy, uh, you know, and how I, I've always found it interesting that in the world of the internet, 
uh, that when you make a decision, it's called the submit button, which yes. kind of means, means surrender, of course, is that given all of that, we, we are all naked now. We are all mm -hmm. vulnerable. Yes, and not only that, but also uh, to travel to the UK, I had to like fill in a form and to have a test and then to do like several tests when I arrived. And I couldn't prevent myself from thinking about um, like the bureaucracy parts of my show that's getting uh, slightly more real now <laughs> with mm. what, what's happened. And I, I don't really know what to think about it. Mm. <laughs> like, I just hope that not too many parts of the show become more real. <laughs> so, yeah. We also, I mean, the, the, the philosophy around the idea of like the multiverse, all different universes that we exist at the same time, the you now that I'm talking to, compared to the you who existed in the moments before this show was even imagined, how do those two people compare? Oh, um, that's um, a good question. Um, I think uh, we're probably pretty much the same, but... Um, I think that the person who created this show and who is now here has toured in many different countries and has had like many different experiences um, and that's what makes me different now but um, yeah. I suppose personality wise I'm like the same. <laughs> but, but are you left in any way resolved from doing this show or has it created more questions for you? Mm. Um, I think it's both answered questions and created more questions, but I, what I loved about doing this show in different places is like uh, connecting with the people afterwards and see also what they got from the show and like talk about it. And I think sometimes I like rediscover my show from what people tell me about it. Mm. Mm. And I guess people wait behind, don't they, to have conversations with you about it because of the nature of it. Yeah, sometimes they do. Um, it depends on where I perform it because sometimes it's not like in Edinburgh, like everything went really fast. So people just like rush to another show after uh, seeing my show. But um, in different places, uh, yeah, sometimes people want to wait after and to talk about it. And uh, actually when I will perform the show in Geneva in November, hopefully, hmm. um, I have one of the nights where I plan to have like a discussion after the show to mm. actually to be able to talk about um, mm. about it with, with the audience. Mm. Now listen, audience for this podcast, there is no way I'm telling you anything about this show um, other than uh, we don't recommend that often but we certainly recommend with outstanding theatre awards. So you're, are you going to be one of those people that says, oh I wish I'd seen that but I've missed it. Um, <laughs> why did we give you an award? Um, well, I think you, you know better. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a humble, cliched answer. Come on, tell me. why It's won more than one award. Um, what's great about it? <laughs> what's great about it? Um, well, I'm really subjective about that because, of course, I made this show, so I like it. <laughs> um, I think uh, probably what's appealing about this show is that um, you can relate to it in many different ways. Hmm. So... Um, I've heard people telling me that my show was about many different things, depending on their personal situation or their life experience. And I think that's like it goes from a very mundane situation and then develops into something, um, and people will take different, um, will interpret that different in different ways. We didn't only give this award to you, the physical performer, we gave it to the soundtrack. 
the soundscape? <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack. Um, well, I don't know. I, I, I sometimes I wonder who is this woman who recorded, <laughs> who, who did this this voice. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess the soundtrack is the text of the show, like the script. Mm. Um, so it's kind of weird because I don't talk during the show, um, but the soundtrack talks a lot. Mm. Um. <laughs> it does, but just into the technique technique of this it's about timing of course that soundtrack and mm -hmm. it's about the way that the sound occurs on the stage in relation to where you are mm -hmm. uh, particularly you know the, um, your interaction with it yeah how was that made um, well uh, I tried many <laughs> many different things but yeah I'm all about timing also um, like I created other shows that are more uh, dense shows and I'm really always about timing like I have the music first in my mind and then I create the movements and um, it was the same here uh, I really think that the comedy comes from timing um, like half a second too late or half a second too soon and it will not have the same effect hmm. so um, I spend like hours correcting half a second hmm. in the soundtrack to make it uh, just the right timing yeah but also the heart of clown and looking at tatty and people like that is it blends actually light laugh aloud comedy with brutal tragedy mm -hmm. and really hard to watch stuff as well <laughs> yes that was also something I wanted to um, have in this show is that people I wanted people to find it funny but to find it somehow painfully funny because it's it's like Aha, yeah, this is so true. It's actually like, it's not a funny situation, but it's funny to laugh about it. Hmm. But you're also trying to make your audience perform. I mean, you're, you're wanting us to react to this in certain ways. And there are moments of discomfort, particularly mm -hmm. around it, where, as I often do, where I'm, I'm watching you, but I'm watching the audience. Yes. Um, well, that's uh, when I perform it, it's a strange experience because I don't look at the audience. Like I pretend that they are not there. Um, so I think it's, it's an interaction, but um, since I pretend they are not there at the moment I perform, I just don't, I try not to pay attention to the reactions mm. and um, to see later what came out of it. Mm. Um, but sure, I can still like hear like the laughs and uh, the um, reactions that people have, and um, I wouldn't say it's interactive, but I would say that I'm definitely trying to um, communicate some emotions mm. uh, through just like very very minimalist movements as mm. well, like just my eyebrow moving, just my mouth moving, or my face like slightly changing. But it's. Um, it's also nice to know that uh, people are kind of hooked at every little movement and that I can make them react hmm. with uh, very minimalist movements. <laughs> and forgive me if this sounds a bit bullshitty, but um, it, it's very courageously repetitive. <laughs> yes, it is. And I think like especially the beginning, well, I'm going to spoil the first five minutes, but like there's some waiting. <laughs> and I start the show with basically waiting and um, I always find it kind of funny to enter the stage and be like okay I'm gonna wait and you're going to wait with me and we're gonna wait all together and that's the beginning of the show where people just expect action 
Um, so yeah, I, I, it's it's a bit of trolling, I guess, from <laughs> from my, my side. But um, and the repetitions as well. Like I want the audience to be annoyed by that as well, but to not annoyed by me, annoyed by the soundtrack and on my side, annoyed mm. with me. Mm. Hmm. Would you ever give this to another performer to do? Uh, I already thought about that. Like. Um, Actually, there was a, um, a situation in which I thought I could not do a show, and then I, I thought to have like a replacement, like uh, a person replacing me. And I have like one person in mind, uh, who's a friend of mine, mine. But um, it's just uh, I think it would be hard for me to teach it and then to let like somebody else do it. But I'm also curious to see what what it would be like. And also, I already thought about remaking this show for. A man like to see what happens if it's mm -hmm. a man on stage and to have like almost the exact same show but to see what happens um, when a man does it and what are the audience reactions yeah so for me it's just to see what you imagine I imagined it also that you've got a mobile phone and on the screen behind is what's being typed that you could I've often seen work about power relationships and stuff at fringe festivals where for some reason they always go to the 50s or the 60s that old hierarchy you know we've got the phone that rings and stuff. one spoiler but did you deliberately choose to do that because of course we're in the modern age where this is even more relevant and it could have used more modern technology uh, yeah that was a deliberate deliberate choice for me to um, have like this old phone um, not necessarily because it goes back to like the 60s or anything like that but more because it to me, it gives this sensation of like timelessness. Um, mm. Like if I would use a cell phone, it gives you more of an idea like which year we are mm. in or like right. uh, um, uh, while with this phone, um, it gives the sensation that uh, we don't really know where we are and when we are. Mm. And that's what I like about it. Okay. Um, final question, what would you like to ask me? <laughs> Again. <laughs> so how did you feel like when you watched the show? So as I said, I found myself maybe as a reviewer watching the audience. And I, I, I think I often do that too. But I felt... Um, the other thing when I've interviewed people in audiences is they experience a moment where they fantasise themselves intervening in the action. They're either heckling, saying stop and that kind of thing. And I had a few of those moments where actually um, I have stormed out of theatre before, not because it was bad, but because it was uncomfortable. And I've only ever done that in my head. Okay, I've seen other people storm out. I remember seeing one show at the Comedia in Brighton where the guy I'd come with just climbed over the chairs and said, I'm out of here. <laughs> I've not spoken to him since. It was the greatest bit of theatre I'd seen. So in this case, you would have seen me moving and that would have been a kind of waking dream of stop doing that to her. And, and why aren't you saying no? Why aren't you leaving? And that's my bigger question because I work in the field of digital, write about it. Why are we pressing the submit button so often? And that's what your piece left. It left me um, more uncomfortable than when I'd gone in. Uh -huh. So thank you so much for talking to Fringe Review, Elsa. Well, thank you. Now, Roger Kay is Rialto Theatre and had a vision to turn a space that's been a nightclub. Uh, I remember when I first came to Brighton, it was a student nightclub and has been a theatre performance venue for a few years under Rogers and his colleagues and his team's leadership. And as he'll tell you, he nearly shut down during lockdown 
and uh, he kept things going much to his own you know, risk, but risks pay off and they're back and struggling back to reality with a fairly decent program of all kinds of stuff at uh, the Brighton Fringe. And so Roger, who found the sense maker, has also discovered lots of other work over the years and I suggest you check the program out and hear now uh, Roger's unique vision for the place and what happened in lockdown and what happened as we unlock. I'm here at Pavilion Gardens Cafe, the office, the head office of Fringe Review and it's foggy and actually that has been the weather forecast for the last two days. It actually says foggy and it's been correct. I think foggy is also our future on earth at the moment too. So we're hoping the sun's gonna come out soon. Now, Roger Kay, uh, one of the directors of Rialto Theatre, um, I've known for a long time. And Roger, I'm gonna make a description of you over the last year, is if I use the metaphor, a bit of an old one, of captain of the ship, as the ship's been sinking, along with everyone else's ships during lockdown. I kept seeing, you know, the ships getting lower and closer to the waterline before it sinks. And there you are, now standing on the funnel with a flag that's the only bit left, bailing out enough water. But people don't know this, but you have literally put yourself on the line and kept this thing going long enough for the moment we've now got, uh, which is still foggy, which is a fringe festival here in Brighton with social distancing, but you have reopened. Yes, we have. In that pool, it was not easy. And quite honestly, uh, in um, other parts of this year, I doubted that we would open, but we found a way. Thanks so much for talking to Fringe Review, the shortest interview, no, not really. Um, so we've reopened. And so for people that don't know, describe the version of Rialto Theatre, literally physically, that's going to be a safe experience for people as they come back to going into the real world and seeing shows. Well, we've um, adhered to the government uh, guidance on COVID. We are half capacity. Um, we have track and trace at the, at the box office. We've seated people in social bubbles. Um, any, anyone that wants to drink in the bar has to be seated. They can't be standing up. When the bar's full, it's full, and you can't have any more people in, in the bar. So there's not loads of people moving around, and the bu social bubble means that if you've booked with two or three, three or four of your friends, you know who's booked and you can seat them together. Indeed, indeed, yeah. yeah. And, and then in terms of going up and sitting in the theatre and watching a show? Yes, we have a seating plan, and that seating plan keeps people um, as social distanced as we can possibly make it. And then there must have been this happy moment, I mean, whatever form this takes, you've got people contacting you, you're able to invite people, and a programme starts to emerge for the first time in a year or more. Yeah, um, so we rolled over a number of shows that were supposed to appear in 2020, um, and we've had some, some later entries as well. Um, and the and the sheer joy of actually saying we are open again, it's very hard to describe. Apart from the extra grey hair, are you okay? <laughs> um, um, the first weekend, I'm not going to lie, was tough. Um, we weren't prepared for the social distancing and we had to change the way that we did things very rapidly. Um, but um, yeah, I'm fine now. Yeah, and in terms of not prepared for it, it, it's not that the theatre's not safe, you know, I've heard people that have been there, a lot of other venues too, they feel complete, they've said they feel completely safe coming to see a show. But just don't go for a poo halfway through the show, is that right? I mean, that's generally quite good advice anyway, isn't it? I don't know, I like a poo, but if, <laughs> if the show's not good, I take a copy of Private Eye, you know, and a bar of chocolate. 
Well, hopefully that doesn't happen at our place because because we've got such a fabulous program. Yeah. Now, give us a few highlights of that. Well, um, I, I'll, I'll start with the award winner from Edinburgh from 2019, uh, the Sense Maker, which opens tonight, Friday, 11th of June. Yeah, she's actually sitting at the table here as well. We've just interviewed her. Yes, she is. Um, an extraordinary performance. Um, the, 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 one of the best I've, I've ever seen. Um, and, uh, Are you uh, saying everything else is crap apart from that? <laughs> Everything else is also brilliant, but I would particularly recommend this show. Um, but beyond that, we have it's we see ourselves as a broad church. We have we have cabaret shows, we have um, comedy, we have music. We had um, a charming show. Some people from um, all over the country came together and wrote their own opera. It was it was amazing. What a what a show that was. And we have and we have industry names coming still. And we have. Um, uh, reworkings of old tales, um, everything is under one roof. And you've always loved new writing, you know, and that kind of stuff. Is that still alive at the emergence? Yes, it is. We have some new writing uh, this year and we will be encouraging uh, writers to submit uh, scratch scripts to us um, and, uh, and the best six will be performed in the autumn and the best one of those six will get a great slot at the 2022 bridge. No one would have any illusions it isn't going to cost a fortune to keep a theatre open for a year, waiting for the moment when you can reopen. Why didn't you just let the ship sink? Um, our story's not, uh, not done yet. Um, well, and your story, let's say, you know, yes. you are the visionary here. Yes, I, 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 I love making work. Um, and I did, I did contemplate it uh, last summer. And we had an offer for the, the building, which I didn't accept because I wanted to be able to take my work somewhere. I wanted to be able to create work and uh, share it to the public. And um, if, if I'd let Rialto go, I wasn't confident <coughs> there'd be somewhere else like it in the city. I think we are a massive part of the arts industry in the city and hopefully we'll stay that way for some years to come. So in terms of looking ahead now, we've got the Brighton Fringe and there's a programme that people can find and you can find it on the Rialto's website and of course book tickets via them and also via Brighton Fringe's own website. Beyond this month, give us a few hints and highlights. Well, we'll be... Um, Post-fringe, we're waiting on the government's um, edict on whether social distancing has to finish on the 21st of June. Um, a lot of suspicion is that that, that date will will be uh, delayed. Um, so, as I said before, we are a broad church and we will be having all sorts of events, music events, nightclub events, cabaret, um, stand-up comedy, uh, theatre, and we are a 12-month venue and all of that is coming. It's a bloody lovely bar, isn't it? <laughs> Our bar is gorgeous. It's, it's sadly this year, one of, the, one of the costs of COVID is that we've had to take some of our lovely Art Deco furniture out. And, and, and sell it. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, it's stored, I'm pleased to say. Um, but we, we've had to put more seating in to accommodate more people in the bar so that, so that because there isn't really anywhere else for people to wait for a show. What do we get from going to the theatre rather than just watching it on Netflix? It's the shared experience. Um, you, if a, it's, it's the old adage of a tree falling in the forest and if there's, if there's no one there uh, to witness it, does that tree make a noise? And if, if, if audiences don't turn up, what is the point of the show? It's shared experience. 
that will almost get the adrenaline and they get that buzz and they get that interaction. Even on a piece of drama, you will have people appreciating a, a word or a nuance or a look. Um, you'll get a laugh one night and you won't get a laugh on the second night. Every show's individual. Something I've loved, and I can't give you the complete answer, is when I've seen stuff at Rialto, church-like, it's got a huge ceiling. goes right up, you know, and, and curves in. And yet I've seen some of the most intimate work there. What do you think that quality is? Um, it's an intimate space. Um, it, it, it is architecturally very interesting as, as a building, but but you can you can draw the audience in very easily well, if, if the performer is able to do that. Final question, in terms of, because uh, we haven't mentioned them, you're a theatre maker, uh, Pretty Villain Productions. Um, so just give us a, a quick update on the work that you actually make rather than just host. We have produced something like 25 shows over the years now. Um, in some cases it's um, the classic tales such as uh, Glengarry Glen Ross or we did the first Cloud by David Hare uh, this year, Rope we've done before. And in some cases it's the new writing and the new work. And we have the guest directors come in as well. Um, we we like to see ourselves as a company that give opportunities to people. The pure spirit of Fringe is sitting next to me here. Thanks, Roger. Thanks, Paul. Now, there's Fringe online, and that might fill you with a sense of horror, but actually, give it a try. It's a new emerging platform, Fringe, that some people think is a gift of COVID because companies that were unable to present live were thwarted and have done live theatre, live performance and also recorded performance. And before you say you think it's just like more TV, well, some shows it is absolutely like that. Then in others, you can get that real sense of live. Uh, and in this particular case, Penny Cole from Flying Solo is telling us about the road ahead. And that's a chance for you to start to experience a concert that is really digging deep into the folk traditions particularly around New Mexico. She tells us about the show and certainly when we need our spirits lifting, but also we, when we want to dive deep. And if you haven't experienced that kind of folk music before, then the, the road ahead sounds like something well worth seeing. And I certainly intend to give that a good look and a good listen. So here's Penny talking about the performers, talking about the show, talking about the music that's very unique. Now, I'm joined by Penny Cole um, from Flying Solo, and you're going to be talking, Penny, about uh, the road ahead at Brighton Fringe. But before we do, I'm just going to let our listeners know that I'm sitting outside at Fringe Reviews headquarters in my garden. You may hear seagulls. Um, you may hear the wind is up here in Brighton, too. Where are you, Penny, at the moment? I'm actually in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, just outside of Denver, Colorado. And I do want to ask you, it's a very British thing, but what's the weather like over there? Um, hot. We've been really hot this week. So up into the 90 degrees, which I have no clue how that, to translate that. 90 Fahrenheit. So. Well, well, it's probably hot. Tell us about the road ahead. Um, the road ahead is a really lovely concert put together by a folk duo, an American folk duo called Glorietta Pines. And Glorietta Pines is based in New Mexico, actually. Um, and they're starting their journey as a, a duo, 
at this point in time. Um, Lindsay Taylor and Brian Nelson are the two musicians. Um, Brian is the, the songwriter and composer and Lindsay is, um, <laughs> runs a lot of the business for the, the duo, but she's also a vocalist and violinist and also plays the mandolin. Um, and so the concert, The Road Ahead, is very much influenced, the music is very much influenced by where they live in the American Southwest. Um, they talk about some of the New Mexican, um, New Mexico is called the land of enchantment. Oh. And it really is a, a very, Northern New Mexico is a magical place. Um, and that is imbued in their music, which is really lovely. But it's also got these wonderful traditional American folk roots. So, which of course go back to, to you know, British folk roots and Celtic music. So you'll hear things that sound really familiar, but yet have a pretty new twist to them. And also folk music in different countries in the world was once uncool. It's become very cool for current generations. I, I hope so. I mean, it, it was definitely cool back in the day in the 60s and 70s. And has it's starting to have a bit of a resurgence again. Um, and especially these, uh, the, the, the roots, um, Americana roots, I think are having a bit of a, a renaissance. Um, and that mm. translates in, you know, the, the transatlantic concerts that have been happening in Scotland for the last number of years blend like Scottish and UK folk musicians and traditional musicians and American folk and traditional musicians. So um, how do we get how do we get to see this at Brighton Fringe? Well, we are online this year um, because of COVID and all of those other things. So you just need to go to um, Brighton Fringe and the Road Ahead, the music concert, and click to buy your ticket. And as soon as you have your ticket, then you can listen to that concert anytime you want, up and through till the end of the, the, the um, Fringe on, the, on June 27th. So, so how would you like people to be in their room when they watch this? I, I ask that question a lot of performers, theatre and everything. How do you want me to be? Am I on a sofa? You know, am I going to go into the garden? We've got some Wi-Fi. What's the best way to see it? I, this is, the music is inspiring yet gentle. And I see it as a real sort of break from the, the clutter of our world sort of all of that extra noise. So I love to listen to it sitting on a sofa, maybe with a glass of wine or a, a you know, beverage of your choice and allow the music to take you away. Mm. And they're also charming, lovely human beings. So <laughs> um, they'll, they'll tell you about the music um, and they're very engaging. And the, the concert was filmed in the Sangre de Cristo mountains up in a meadow. And it's absolutely glorious, beautiful scenery. Um, yeah, and so, so, so we're gonna eat some food too. Give me some New Mexican 
hints at what we should eat? Um, I, I don't know if you can get New Mexico and Brighton or, <laughs> I mean, you can get Mexican. I know all over the UK. Yeah, no, we're going to we're going to find some New Mexico. So what should we what should we cook up? Um. Well, green chili is the the base of the food of just about all of New Mexican cooking. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't have to be hot or it can be, depends on what your tolerance is. And a good bowl of just rich green chili stew um, would be wonderful with this. And I don't want you to give too much away, but so what, what's the music in terms of the instruments that they're playing as well? What, what we're gonna see, we're gonna hear. Um, Brian principally, um, principally plays the guitar. He has two different guitars that you'll hear. One, a, a traditional guitar, and one is a tenor guitar, which has a really interesting tone. And they talk a little bit about that. And then you'll also hear Lindsay on fiddle um, and mandolin. And then mm -hmm. they, they both sing, and the harmonies are just really beautiful they're very tight they're very um appropriate and lovely um to the music and in terms of a, a personal question but what is it you particularly love about it um i love i love the gentleness i think i think it's the and i love the thoughtfulness I should say that too, because mm. you know, folk music tells stories and it and folk music challenges the world in, in ways um, through their lyrics. And the, the songs have a, a wonderful thoughtfulness to mm. them um, that I think is is quite special. And I think um, you've, I mean, you've, you've You've named a paradox, isn't it? In the world at the moment, we need both of those things. We need challenge, but we need gentle too. Right. Yep. Yep. Mm. And they Lots talk about yeah. They talk about even in in sort of our our um, our marketing and and descriptions of the of the concert. They talk about the fact that it's it's this grit you know, sort of that American grittiness that, that um, in terms of music and performance and, and culture, but yet messages of hope. And that's really what the artists are, are seeking to impart through the concert. And also I asked them to do a, they'll, they'll talk a little bit about this in the concert. I asked them to, to actually title the concert which isn't something musicians usually do. They'll title a tour or, or something like that. Um, but it made them think about how they were curating their songs, how they, what they were putting together. And they really tapped into what is the road ahead? How do we move forward? So the songs are loosely um, connected around that sort of theme of, of how are we navigating the world? Mm. Penny, thank you so much for talking to Fringe Review. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I also got to talk to Marie-Hélène Boyd.
about a show that's not new at the Fringe. In fact, it's been around for a while. And every time I've heard of it, people say you have to experience this. And when you hear that with Fringe performance, Fringe theatre, and not just you have to see this, it suggests something else is going on. And at this Fringe, you can see I Am Echo Borg at Rialto Theatre and be in the theatre itself and have a live experience. But this is also streamed, so you can see this from the comfort, maybe discomfort of your own home. This is about AI, artificial intelligence. And without giving too much away, the performer in this is doing verbatim theatre and it's very unique because she is literally in real time acting the words of artificial intelligence that's in direct engagement with the audience who can ask questions and so on. And this is a show that's had people very discomforted by it I think laughing their socks off but also feeling changed by it in some way and you might hear some dogs in the background as I'm here in the garden shed um, because this is not about a comfort zone uh, as I'm in my comfort zone right now um, and it raises all kinds of questions about as we begin to already and sometimes we don't know we are engaging with AI we're in conversations with chatbots and where's that going and what does our future look like and I am Echo Borg is all about that and this is probably a very, very unique piece of theatre. And so I'm going to go. In fact, I'm part of an artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence interest group. And we're looking to have a watch party. Uh, and so a watch party at Brighton Fringe sounds fun to me. But it also, knowing the subject here and something I'm interested in, I'm not sure that the future of artificial intelligence is by default all good. In fact, quite the opposite. And so I am Echo, I am Echo Borg is probably unmissable. Now, this is an outdoor broadcast because I'm actually in my garden, but it's such a lovely evening. I couldn't be stuck inside to talk to Marie-Hélène Boyd. Marie, tell us what you're up to creatively coming up um, in one of the largest festivals in the world. Um, thank you for, um, for having me on. Uh, well, on the 17th of June, we are bringing I Am Echo Borg for one night only at Brighton Fringe at Rialto Theatre. Um, the event is, and we're planning to stream for those who are not feeling comfortable yet to still mingle with people, obviously, because of COVID. And uh, so, yeah, we're bringing I Am Echo Borg. Uh, it's an interactive theatre piece. Um, basically, it's an, an hour long. It's AI versus machines. So the play about the conversation what is the best possible outcome between humans and intelligent machines? Now, as well as being a theatre maker myself and involved in Fringe Review, I'm actually a member of um, an AI interest group based in the UK. And I happened to mention your show and someone said, oh, yes, I saw that on a webinar. There was, it was, you know, it was unique. It was incredible. Um, I don't want you to spoil the experience for people, but so let's just unpack this a bit. First of all, as an art maker, as an artist, how did you get into this? Hello? 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 Can you hear me? Sorry, I lost you yeah. there. And this is what happens in the internet world. So I was just asking, you know, how did you get into this whole area as a, as a theatre maker? Yeah. Well, Mick, um, who is the director of the piece, um, messaged me, actually, uh, 2017. That I've been the Echo Borg uh, since uh, January 2017. 
and he basically just messaged me saying, can you listen and speak at the same time? And I went, yeah, I think I can do that. It's how hard can it be? And he said, okay, let me, you know, let's do an audition piece, which we did. And, uh, and I had to put these headphones on and to this AI, basically like Siri, I uh, speak. And I had to listen and speak her words exactly as she spoke so here we're in the, at the same time. Yeah. So we're in the world of verbatim theatre, but in a very unique context. Yes, exactly. So it's really exploring, does the, the, the presence of AI humanise us or, do, or does it dehumanise us? And it's just exploring, obviously, we, we, we live in the age of AI. You know, we use our phone, we use our Facebook, and everything we do is dictated by this algorithm telling us what to do. And so this whole piece is about exploring that concept. But instead of just having the conversation, you get to really speak to an actual AI on the day and have that debate with the AI on the day through me, and that's the Echo Book. How are you feeling? Do you know, every show, it honestly, is different for the last four years. And it's just, it really, it's, it's just, every show is different because the audience create the outlet, immediate possible outcome of ending of this show. And depending on the day, how the audience work together, um, they shape the play. Every, and I don't know, I really don't know on the 17th of June what is going to happen when I go there because I don't know who's coming and I don't know what they will say because what they say creates the answer the AI feeds me. So there is no other person telling me what to say in the microphone. It exactly repeats, it listens and it repeats and it answers your questions and I just have to repeat those words. So when so you're doing it, that... I find it fascinating. Is that as easy as just playing a role? Or, you know, what happens to your ego? <laughs> That's a very good one. Um, when I usually get, as an actor, you get a part, you learn your lines, you go on set, you know, you, you do your, your bit. But because I have no idea what the AI is going to say, there's a little bit of, oh, my God, do not upset anyone because I'm the face of the AI. And uh, we've had shows where people actually walked off and uh, or they get really cross. They get really angry with me. And I'm thinking I'm just repeating her words. And um, but I do love it. I absolutely because the, I love the conversation that comes out of it because we do need to have this, what's the ethical side as well? And I think that's what I love about um, this show because people are left feeling, I'm sharing my details willingly online without knowing where my data is going, without knowing who has my data. And it... ...all conversation about data as well that most of us don't think about. Do, do you feel when you're speaking these words that you're speaking the words of something at least partially human, or do you feel you're speaking the words of an alien as if from another planet? Mm. I think it's become the, um, the echo box that have developed this friendship with the AI, this almost trusting, and it's weird because it's a machine. Like, I've, if I sit down as 
the echo box takes place, like Marie and Snow Dogger, if that makes sense. You know, I'm a method train, and that's what, as a method train actress, you know, you become the character, and yeah. no longer exists. And the moment I sit and take so I don't have any thoughts of, of myself. And it's weird yeah. because I've mentioned that before. It's almost like I space out and then the next thing I know, there's a clap and I come back and I'm like, oh, I'm still here. And I don't know where I go in that hour and a half. I really don't know. Final question. <laughs> in terms of then, in terms of your experience as the Echo Borg, having done this for a while, are you left feeling optimistic, pessimistic? I mean, what feelings do you have about AI as it enters our lives more? I think we can't, we've come too far to go back and, you know, we all rely on AI every day. I mean, my, I can't drive anywhere without my sat-nav, even though part of me knows the road, but I need my sat-nav just to, just to be secured in myself or I have, you know, we have Siri and we've come too far to not live in an age of AI, but I think we do need to have some ethical and strict laws on how that is governed, if that makes sense. And especially with that information, I know, and I know, I mean, to be fair, the last four years, I have been more careful with my data since I've started playing. Hmm. And I think four years prior to that, before that, I was, you know, really just putting information of my life out there on social media without even thinking twice. And throughout this play, I, it really, I really had to go, hmm, do I want to share that? Because once it's there, it's there for life. And I think it's about it's it's having uh, you know, all these people coming to one room and having that discussion and finding what's the best possible outcome. Can we live in the age of AI or do we just delete and we all go back to a time where there was no computers or do we find... A solution because we need to find something because you know data is now it's more valuable than gold and you know and your information it's it's worth millions and how is that ethically sourced and how is that ethically looked after and that's the conversation we need to have with one another going forward um i'm left scared and excited by that marie helene <laughs> uh, boy thanks for talking to us Thank you so much for having me, honestly. And, you know, do come and speak to our AI and maybe maybe you will find the answer you're looking for through when you speak to our AI. I don't know how what the AI is going to say. I don't know if the AI, that will be a conversation with you and the AI to have. And I hope to see you at uh, uh, Rialto Theatre on the 17th of June at 6.15. Merci bien, Echo Borg. Merci, merci, très bien. Now here in the world of podcasting, the world where everyone's podcasting, we've decided not to tightly edit, not because we're lazy, but we want to capture the spirit of being out and about and recording things as they happen. And the nature of the internet means sometimes that goes down, sometimes we're cut off, sometimes we say hello, hello, because the other person's disappeared. And uh, that's the nature now of live content, particularly until 
apparently we get something called 6G or even 7G and whether that's good I don't know but once again it's been inspiring and for me a bit discomforting in these strange times to be talking to theatre makers theatre makers literally climbing out a bit like in one of those horror zombie movies climbing out from the rooms through through uh, drain lids and then you can see them looking around again and seeing that the world is still there but there's a sort of twilight around it too we're in uncertain times but fringe is happening and the people that I've spoken to are the people making it happen and creating the opportunity for you to climb away from the TV sets if that's what you've been doing and go and encounter some live work but also offering some live work from houses that you do not need to leave and whether that genre is going to survive or grow it was always their digital performance I do not know but certainly uh, at Brighton Fringe we're talking a lot of live work um, but we're also talking about I'd say a lot of online live work too that I haven't really experienced before but that's the internet so apologies if a few people have cut off cut out but the conversation continues and to round off I was out and about again at Brighton Fringe. As we come to the end of episode four of the Fringe in Review, I'm remembering back to this episode and something that Roger Kay from Rialto Theatre said. It's a term that if you work in theatre has become almost a cliche, but actually when you look into what it means, it's not a cliche, it just comes up because it makes sense. And when I asked him why people still come to the theatre and that online and Netflix isn't just uh, what they're after now, we've got very used to it. You could say COVID's groomed us even more for the TV world, is the shared experience. And a lot of people that have never been to the theatre before note it. They note that they were watching the audience as well, well as watching the show, that there's something going on where the show's reason for being is that there's an audience there, but also the audience's reason for being at that moment is because someone has brought some work that they're connecting with, be that comedy or the most serious theatre, be that dance, be that cabaret, be that circus, be that a solo show or a bunch of people on stage, be that in a huge circus tent or be that in a small bijou little theatre. The shared experience is unique. Now we can have a shared experience on TV as well. I said shared experience and a load of dogs just bark, so I don't know if that's because they're agreeing. But we can have a shared experience in TV as well, of course, and that's when we're all together and we've got the food, we've got the drinks, and we're chatting to each other as we watch something. But what we don't have is the reaction from the stage, uh, the stage that is different each night, unique, di uniquely different, uh, rather than just a recording. And even live theatre, although with Zoom um, shows um, where the audience was on Zoom and you could see their reactions more, um, mostly theatre has been recorded. Um, but that shared experience can happen on TV, but its reason for existence on uh, the stage is very much around that, that shared thing. And sometimes that can feel sacred and sometimes it can feel uh, powerful to people. And some people get the, the itch to go back for more and more and more. That's on offer at Brighton Fringe, that's on offer at uh, other venues around the country and it's become very, very unique um, at the moment. And whether it is that we are going back online uh, again or whether we're going to stay back in the physical world again live, I don't know. But certainly you're invited to a shared experience at this Brighton Fringe. It sounds like I'm advertising, I partly am, but also it's because we've been locked down for so much. There's nothing quite like a bit of shared experience of live theatre. Bye for now. <laughs>